Ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to the Crossing Streams podcast. Here we go. Oi streamers, welcome back to the Crossing Streams podcast presented by the Bizzlecast. I am, of course, the Bizzle, and with me, of course, is Matty G, a.k.a. Matt. Matt. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode seven of Crossing Streams. Um, I was scrambling for a seventh book t- uh, or something to title this after mm-hmm. since we've used up a lot of the major franchises, so I'm going to go with Altogether Crossing Streams after Altogether <laughs> Dead, the seventh book in the uh, Southern Vampire Mysteries, which were the basis for the True Blood TV show. Uh, and in a, a way less deeper uh, dive, perhaps we could also call it The Schwartz Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> if they ever make that movie. <laughs> and, and, and if if we can make it to... Uh, yeah, well, reference to the Fourth Week episode seven, but um, if if we and the long rumored Spaceball sequel that Max yeah. Brooks is apparently writing, well, I, I I remain skeptical at best. But that's like at the end of History of the World Part One, where they do coming right. attractions for History of the World Part Two, a Viking funeral, you know, Jews in space, Jews in space, Hitler on ice. Yep. <laughs> oh man, we should do a um. Uh, I'll get decent on this one, maybe the sort of the the comedies that we grew up with. Um, sure. From you know, from B- Bill Murray movies and Ghostbusters, and yeah. you know, to the Mel, Mel Brooks. Uh, I mean, t- you know, um, uh, the, the, the what's the what's the Robin Hood one? Uh, Robin Hood Men in Men Tights, tights and, and, and which I liked history. as a kid, but yeah. I think was also the sign of when Mel Brooks was starting to go the wrong direction because oh, I don't yeah. think that's a very good movie in retrospect. I just think I laughed at the time. Absolutely, Spaceballs it, yeah. is actually good. You know, yeah, and History of the World is actually like meta good. I mean, yeah, it's oh, historical yeah. commentary that you know the Inquisition song. Right. I mean, the fact that as a kid, yes, you and I grew up Jewish, so we knew more about it. And it's also less offensive because you know he's Jewish and we're Jewish, but like, right. The fact that he turned the Inquisition into an amazing extended musical piece is just mm. absolutely brilliant. And uh, I want to challenge us, man. We have a couple things to start off with before we get into our shows this week. I would like to challenge us, you and I, that is, um, and our audience members, if you have feedback or suggestions, to find some comedies that both of us like on TV. It doesn't have to be right now, like airing right now. You know, it could be on Netflix or like on HBO Go or something like that. But uh, you know, when, when, when you and I get to talk about funny stuff, it's always great. And we get, we've gotten to do that with Supergirl a bit, you know. And it's, mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. Um, um, I don't, you know, I, I, I ask you this all the time. I don't think any of us have any major comedies that we know of coming out. Um, is is uh, American Gods somewhat darkly funny like Neil Gaiman's other books, or is it more straight ahead? I haven't read it. Uh, yeah, I've read it a couple of times, and there are definitely some laughs in there, but I don't, for the most part, I don't think it's all that funny. Um, I think there are, you know, there's a character named Mad Sweeney who is, a leprechaun but is actually really tall he makes a, a joke in there early on about yeah you americans always 
fuck that up or he says something like that mm-hmm. um, that you think we're short. And then they get in a fight for no real apparent reason, and it's kind of funny, but my memory is most of the scenes are more sort of weird and wondrous, which Gaiman does really well. Um, so while I expect there'll be some laughs, I don't think it's going to be a very funny show. I don't think it's going to be written for humor. Yeah, really hard these days. Um, and this would be a good transition. Matt and I just want to shout out that, dude, we're just two months in to uh, 2017, and between the two of us have seen at least four excellent, excellent movies. Um in, in yeah. the theater we've already talked about lego batman uh, even though this movie came out last these two movies came out last year i also in january saw both hidden figures which was nominated for oscars and um and is a must see and the eagle huntress uh an incredibly um uh right just daring uh my documentary about a young girl in mongolia who becomes the yep. first like eagle huntress I mean, if you've ever seen pictures of, of the Mongolian steppes, they, they, they literally ride around on horses with, with giant eagles on their arms they use for hunting. I've seen the trailer. I know, I know what Eagle Huntress is about, mm-hmm. yeah. And Daisy Ridley it does a, a small amount, but very effective uh, narration hmm. with her adorable little <laughs> refined English voice. Right. Uh, so, th- so I started the year out well with that, and then we saw Lego Batman. Now, you saw John Wick 2, which is definitely happening for me this week at some point. I finally saw one. I thought I was right. going to see two more uh sooner but my dad's not as crazy about one as i am although he, he's mm-hmm. gonna see two um but we really wanted to see lego batman and then uh which you and i have talked about and then finally not finally i uh, well, i should say finally the release of logan on thursday night which um I, I, me and my dad absolutely loved we were laughing and this was the comedy c- connect you you think there's not possibly going to be anything funny about how dark and disturbing that scenario is but with hugh jackman and patrick stewart and that little girl and Stephen merchant and a couple other support characters they get in some real dark humor that, that goes throughout the movie keeps you with it the type of humor that mad max didn't have and that was part of why you know i just couldn't relate to mad max at a certain point logan aesthetically is very influenced by the mad max movies i think mm-hmm. um but uh I'll have to see and find out but. yeah I, now i don't know the timeline in terms of old man logan the comic and the original mad max anyways um as i talked about in my mini review people you should check out online my quickie just a 14 minute non-spoiler review about logan and i don't spoil anything i just talk about the characters and the overall awesomeness of it how violent it is but how it's not gratuitous because it, it really fits the wolverine character and so forth um, and Matt's going to see that next week, so we don't have to do a long talk about that here. But I will say, Matt, and you know this, when we did our Deadpool podcast, I predicted that Rated R Wolverine was going to be great, you know? And I'm not, like, taking any credit. Like, I just happened to be right, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but I just felt like the final Wolverine movie, letting him be full-on Wolverine... And giving James Mangold, who did an okay but not amazing job with the Wolverine movie a couple of years ago, but like if you mm-hmm. research that movie, Mangold was not the problem. Like they wanted that to be rated R, and then they changed their minds. And like right. originally, um, like Chris Nolan or someone was supposed to direct it, and you know, there was just a lot of developmental problems. There's a director's cut that's way better that no one's seen. The bad guy was terrible. Um, you know, the, the Japanese setting was actually quite good. And so now that they got to make their movie, which, you know, Hugh Jackman specified if he was going to come back that A, it would be Old Man Logan, because by now he's read all, like all the Wolverine, all, all the Wolverine comics, or at least knows about them. So it had right. to be this movie and it had to be rated R and ultra violent. And they gave it to him. And God 
damn it, after over a year of waiting for this, they, they nailed it. So I, I really look forward to you seeing it next week. And you just saw an amazing movie last night that everyone I know and respect, both in real life and online, has seen and absolutely loves. Right. Um, I would also say, having not seen Logan, so I, I don't have a ton of opinions yet, but I think Logan and Mangold owe a huge debt to Deadpool oh, yes. for p- proving that a rated R movie could, X movie could work. Yep. And kind of maybe being the final like argument they needed to convince the higher ups yes. at, at Fox to let him do it. Yeah. Um, and we talked about I that also, in I our Deadpool I have no idea podcast. where they go with the X movies after this because I know they're, they've already greenlit the next younger one and and this feels like just from the outside a good final story it's it's picard i'm sorry it's <laughs> xavier and wolverine kind of at the end of their stories and since the x movies were pretty much just about them yeah it feels like if they've concluded anything everything unless you're going to then undercut that story by having the something that happens in the past change it again mm-hmm. i don't know why anybody would want to watch another young adventure with these people when you know what the final step is okay, so so, I, I, so this takes place 30 plus years in the future right so what's going to happen if it does well and it looks like it's going to do really well they're expecting an 80 plus million dollar opening um right and by the way i agree that deadpool should be credited i we did so in our deadpool review mm-hmm. we said if wolverine gets it done and does it well deadpool is gonna get a lot of credit and indeed it should and i mentioned that in my mini review but i will say it, deadpool was also an experiment that couldn't have happened with logan because you can't make a wolverine movie with hugh jackman on a 30 million dollar budget so right it, that was very much them testing the radar waters with a lower budget and more obscure character that if it bombed they could just bury you know in early february and so, you know, this this actually probably won't be Deadpool domestically. It could reach it worldwide. It's, it's possible. Um, you know, I, I think this proves also, man, you take, let's put it this way. None of the great X-Men movies, other than First Class, lacked a lot of Hugh Jackman. I mean, right. you know, X1, X2, even X3, which I hate and you mostly don't like, Hugh Jackman, X1, X2, undeniably amazing. I think I love Days of Future Past a little bit more than you, but we can both, I think, agree that was a great movie and wouldn't have been nearly as great without him being sort of the go-between between the two Charles Xavier's. Um, and, um, it, you know, I, 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 it was just a perfect send-off to his franchise. But what I was going to say was, they're definitely doing more PG-13 X-Men movies, or they're going to try it. Now, they have... Um, I think Drew Goddard is writing. Is it Drew Goddard or Simon Kimberg writing the X Men movie? I still, I still have hope. I've not hope. I, I think there's some promise in the young X Men. I don't think the young new X Men in Apocalypse were the major problems with Apocalypse. Personally, I think there's tons of other problems. But they've also set up this future scenario, which is set up to be X Force. I mean, it's rated R in the future, violent, has characters, you know, like Deadpool, Cable, X twenty three that we either know of or we think are coming. They're all part of X Force. I think they're going to try and run. Two parallel uh, but simultaneous X universes. One in you know the PG thirteen family. One in the R family. Sorry, I talked way too much about that. But go ahead. I'm just that excited. Yeah. I'm just that giddy about this movie. I, I I hope you, even if you don't love it as much as me, I hope you just really really like it. Um, and, and Matt made a great point without even having seen it, just having read reviews and you being a very smart dude, contrasting this. A very dark movie that feels deserved to some other more recent comic book movies that are dark but aren't really dark in the important ways and are undeserved. Yeah, I mean, my only 
larger point, and it, it did make me realize something that is kind of inherently problematic about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, to say nothing of the DCEU, is you can only tell a story that takes place at the end once you have effectively set up the beginning in the middle. Mm-hmm. And Wolverine is the only movie superhero character that I feel like they've put the work in to earn the right to make a movie like this. Yeah. I'm not ready to see the end of Iron Man or the end of Captain America, and they tried to make, a, if not an end story, then a, a third act story with the DC movies without doing any work leading up to it, and it was one of the many reasons that movie fell completely flat. Right. And what struck me about that is it feels weird that we're 15 movies into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is like one and a half times the number of X movies will be we've had mm-hmm. and it still feels like it's the beginning or the the end of the you know the you know of the middle act it's kind of weird that we're still not at the climactic point where we can start wrapping some of these stories up and telling these kind of stripped down end game yeah. stories yep. and it's because they keep introducing more characters making more origin movies making you know bringing in new stuff and they just keep expanding and expanding and expanding and it does make me a little nervous for Infinity War because I don't know how they can start to tie all this together. Mm-hmm. And I think eventually bringing it back down to manageable numbers would be a good idea. But they haven't, for all of the movies they've made, reached a point where they can do that with any character. And that's a little weird um, for how much money and how much time they've spent making and how much effort they put into making these films. I think depending on what happens in Infinity War... Um which, yeah, it's going to be impossible to get any real character meet. I mean, let's put it this way. If we didn't get a lot of character meet in Civil War, how are we going right. to get it in Infinity War, which has like five times as many characters? Um, right. And, you know, we keep getting Chris Evans' Captain America development in spite of how many characters they keep adding because of how well-written that character is. And actually, I commented to my dad, dude. The first thing I said to my dad after Logan was what you said about the DCEU, that Wolven was a Wolverine was appropriately dark and, and violent as opposed to the Superman, the current Superman portrayal, for example. But that, you know, I, I think Chris, the Chris Evans version of Captain America is appropriately family PG-13. And I think if they give him just enough to do in the Infinity movies, if he has right. an appearance in Black Panther, which I really think is happening, I haven't read this anywhere, but I, I feel very strongly, based on the end of Civil War, we're going to yeah. see Cap and Bucky in Black Panther. Um, and they had great chemistry together, those two, T'Challa and uh, and Steve. Um, right. And then you do what I've been hoping for with. I know you don't love Emily Van Camp, but it, 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 you must at least like the idea of a, a, a final Cap movie that he gets to actually do one last character de- round of character development post Infinity War. It could even be semi Old Man Logan style, slightly in the future, or just like a smaller, like a smaller story, like a smaller adventure on the side where it's him and Sam and Bucky and and uh, you know and uh, and so forth. Um, so I think Cap could get close to there but yes you when you are in nine movies in the same franchise as the same characters in 17 years seven of which you're essentially the lead of or the co-lead three of your right. own and then a bunch of team-ups and the fact that you know the first and second x-men movies which are still two of the best superhero movies ever and you're basically the most memorable part of one of the most memorable parts ever um i kind of group x1 and x2 i know x1 by itself is a little light and short um but if you look at x1 x2 as a single extended story to me that that works really really well. in fact i almost never watch one without the I'll, I'll watch x2 sometimes without x1 but if i watch x1 i immediately watch x2 um and uh I, I will i will i will tease this man 
all I'm going to say is you're going to get some answers in this movie about Wolverine. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I mean, I, I think it's not just that they've put him in all these movies, but we've actually seen movies where he, they work on character development with him. The Wolverine was mediocre. You know, it was above average, I guess. He was like a but six least, and a half, seven, I would say, yeah. Yeah, but at least there's sort of an emotional arc to yes. him, and you actually see him dealing with, you know, some of his own past and his own psychology. So we actually see the character change and grow over the movies where he actually gets to do something. I'm not counting the, you know, the scene where he says, go fuck yourself. And that's his whole appearance in first class. But across the movies that he's actually in, Mm -hmm. he does grow and change and arc and then start to descend. And then we reach Logan that puts him in a place where they can bring his story to the end. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, I've rewatched X1 and X2 relatively recently and was underwhelmed by both. Um, I, 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 I think the only one X movies I'd really want to rewatch anymore is Deadpool or First Class. Um, hmm. But that's interesting. I, I've kind of grown pretty soft on Brian Singer. I, I'm, I'm not as big a fan of his style as I used to be. Um, I want to turn to my movie to recommend, and then I want us to get into TV stuff. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I just, I feel like I have to respond to that really quickly, though, because okay. just when we were making our top five a while back, you, you did have X two in there. I and, did, and I, I think it was my favorite at yeah, the time. And, and I rewatched it, and I was yeah. like, I'm not sure I like this that much. It's anymore. a little clunky, you know. It's a little um, not smooth. Um, but I do think the scenes like Bobby and his family and, and, the, and the museum yes, and stuff. that seems fantastic. Yeah, and then even in the museum scene in the beginning, I love, um, really captures what X-Men's all about. <laughs> Look, I'm a big believer in overwatching things, you know? I mean, Creed is one of my favorite movies ever and still my favorite movie of 2015. But I've seen Creed so many times, I need to wait like a year before I rewatch it again. So I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong in reassessing X2. I just think it's possible that came came out so long ago, and we, you and I have probably seen it even more than we remember. Um, sometimes movies just start to fall flat after a while, you know? I mean, yeah. the, the, the only one that hasn't happened with me is The Avengers, but that's only because I have gone out of my way as many times as I've seen it to not, like, watch it, you know, two days in a row or something like that, when it would be tempting to do so. And mm-hmm. it, even though X2 is flawed, and yes, Brian Singer is clearly flawed, although remember, he wasn't responsible for X3, he was responsible for Apocalypse. Um, I still think the the hour and thirty minutes that is X one is the most concise superhero set of superhero origin stories we've ever seen. I mean, you know, we spent two and a half hours to, to building up Doctor Strange. They built up the entire mutant universe in about an hour thirty five minutes in X one. And I, I do think X two is very well crafted. That's fine. I, I know you're not a huge fan of the X Men. I still think when X Men hits on all cylinders, it's way better than the Avengers in any format. It just doesn't always hit on all cylinders. So we'll get your take on Logan next week. Um, so yeah. Tell us about, uh, I was going to say Get Down, about Get Out. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I I really had a tough choice between Get Out and Logan. Uh, I ultimately went with Get Out because my hunch is it'll be in theaters a little less. It's yeah. already a week old. You made the right so choice. I wanted, you made so the I right want to make sure I hit it because I think Logan's going to hang around for a month. Um, yeah, and, and as much and, as I want to see yeah. it on a big-ish screen, if I don't see it on the biggest screen I can right. possibly find, I don't think the experience will be wrecked because of it well and just for, uh, for selfish reasons you seeing get out is going to make me want to see it more whereas i've already seen logan and i know you're going to see like logan i knew you were going to see so yeah. I, I always that's the right instinct i think man go with the movie that you're not 100 percent chance sure you'll get another shot in the theater to see and, and go to that right. one yeah so go ahead yeah so get out is uh written and produced and directed by jordan peele of key and peele the 
very, very, very funny, topical, brilliant. interesting, uh, brilliant, short-lived, unfortunately, uh, Comedy Central TV show, yeah, sketch comedy guys, show. Those guys are doing everything, though, since Oh, yeah, then. They, yeah. they've been in Fargo. They, uh, I mean, they, they were in the first season of Fargo as a pair of kind of bumbling FBI detectives. They're really funny. Anyway, uh, it's a... I guess you'd call it a horror movie. I mean, it certainly, I think, has a lot of elements of the horror genre. And I've listened to interviews, and I know that Jordan Peele is a huge horror fan and an aficionado of the genre. Like, he's seen tons and tons of movies, and he, when he watches horror, he analyzes. So he really knows that genre well. So mm-hmm. he would call this a horror movie. I didn't find it super scary. I found it more, if anything, very funny and yeah. sort of a... a uh, an American psycho kind of black comedy pun kind of intended yep. uh, sort of way. Yeah, Sarah but Silverman it, it, said almost the exact what you just said. She loved it. She posted yesterday. And apparently Jordan Peele has said there are similarities to the horror and comedy genres in yes. his mind, even yep. if other people don't always make those connections. So I don't think laughing at some of these scenes is the wrong reaction to have. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really, really good. It's really, really topical. It has something really interesting to say about the ways in which what we perceive as liberalism and tolerance is a disguised form of racism that's equally dangerous because it's it we use it to further our own ends to try to get black people to come to our side rather than to try to actually be on their side. Yep. Um, it's incredibly important to the discourse on race that's going on right discussion on race that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's extremely well executed. The acting is great. It looks really good for a movie that I doubt was made for a ton of money, but it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a simple story that gets pretty complicated and I really recommend everybody go see it. Yeah, I mean, um, my uh, my other recent podcast that just came out with my buddy Eric Kerman, uh, we talked about sort of liberalism and Islamophobia, and I argued a, a sort of modified version of what you're talking about that you know that there is a liberal strain of of hatred towards Muslims. It's not just a conservative thing, and you know because you know liberals can be equally self righteous to, to conservatives, and even more so. Um, right. I mean, that's part of what tanked the Hillary campaign was sort of the I- inflexible, judgmental self-righteousness of, you know, of white people. And, right. you know, I mean, <laughs> Bernie Sanders may have ended up being the better candidate, but he really struggled with non-white people, um, which is part of why he lost the primaries. Now, I don't know what would have happened in the generals. You yeah, know. I I don't super want to get into yeah the politics of it. Well, but I, but, I would but, say- I, I, look, but look, all I'm gonna say is a lot of people I respect and celebrities that who are who are smart and I follow a lot of whom are comedians and I agree with you that people who like comedy tend to like horror and vice versa and, and comedians for sure like horror. Um, I don't know if we can get into the psychology of that. What I'm saying is, you know, these these issues of. Uh, of racism or you know more broadly like liberal intolerance or just judgmental judgmentalism if if that's even a word are, are really important i mean i've been hearing that that's been that, that was a really interesting and well done sort of theme or set of themes in the movie right um and it's not even being judgmental it's more sort of now in this film obviously the white characters that he meet are actually nefarious and they they have their own plan for him that I don't want to spoil, but I think there's a more broad point they're trying to make that what we say and what we think is, it isn't being judgmental, it's being 
obtuse. It's being naive. It's being delusional that what we're doing and how we're talking to black people and how we're talking to black communities that we think this is okay. Like one of the early lines I'll give you is when, so it's about a guy, a black guy who's got a white girlfriend and he goes to meet her parents for a weekend and then some shit goes down when he meets her dad and she warns him this is going to happen. He says, I'd have voted for Obama for a third term if I'd have the chance best president in my lifetime. And a lot of people and the point is sort of, you know, that's fine that you voted there. But if you think that somehow allies you with black people because you voted for a black president, you're deluding yourself, you know, that that's as far as you're willing to go to really try to communicate to people who aren't like yourself. Um, yeah. Look, I, I, I don't want to get into this discussion with you. We don't have time and we could talk about it forever and I haven't seen it. So I'll have to wait to see it. All I will <laughs> say is, well, while I agree with sort of the, 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 uh, precepts of everything you're talking about uh, having seen headlines coming out of the movie about you know this shows how bad white women are and like i mean they're you know it can almost flip the other way some of the articles i've seen about the movie um not not, not in terms of criticizing the movie but in terms of actually you know pushing some of the themes and ideas further like, there was a recent article about how you know we're deluding ourselves by thinking that you know the existence the increasing existence of interracial couples is somehow helping race for example and you know they point to john legend and chrissy Teigen, you know the famous interracial couple um and also to the new movie about true uh, uh, true movie about botswana's founding a uh, father and mother right. sir Saretsi kama and ruth kama yeah, yeah, yeah and you know like criticize even though that's a true story and not only is it a true story but it actually botswana is one of the most tolerant places on the planet towards uh, non-white country towards white people because of that relationship and what it meant for the country you know, so but they were using that in their argument of like, don't let this think that this is stopping racism. And I have to feel like there's got to be a middle ground here. It sounds like what you're t- describing in the movie is more of like starting a discussion, um, right? Rather than, or, or or do you think that it did take kind of hard, um, hard uh, perspectives or hard opinions on, on on certain things? Well, I think it definitely was a was of the opinion that black people have fewer allies. Uh, than they maybe realize in white communities that there are all kinds of people out there of white people out there who for whatever reason are going to uh, pretend or appear to be liberal they're not really they're not really tolerant they're trying to use black people or black communities for their own purposes and you need to be careful of that and white people need to be aware of the ways in which they talk and act and question whether or not what they're doing is really out of a desire to communicate with other people or if it's out of the desire to appear to be a certain way. Um, yes. Well, okay. So I'm going to see the so movie. So you're, you're going to yeah. have to see it, see it and then we can have a discussion we'll about it. Continue yeah, this more. conversation. Yeah. It's hard to defend yeah. or yeah. counter an argument you haven't the, seen. The, the, the all people, the all white people are racist thing is a slippery slope. Uh, but that's not what this movie's. No, I understand is. that. I understand that. But I think that, you know, it's yeah i mean that that we all have sort of you know types of of intolerance and prejudice that we're not aware of or not fully aware of i think it's totally on point i do think it's important to point out that everyone has this it's just that the the in groups always are at a huge advantage over the out groups and well, yeah. this was something i you know i didn't realize about myself 
in terms of I always thought thought of myself as like a defender of black people, blah 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 blah. But it wasn't until I lived in Africa um, and right. was like the only white person around for months where I got my head out of my ass. Um, and so I, it was interesting to come back to Wesleyan and start my company, and then people at Wesleyan accusing me of being a neo imperialist and so forth, thinking I was helping black people and and things like that. I'm just glad these discussions are being had. Uh, yeah, I just wish we didn't need uh, this current political situation, and, and we'll use this to get into our actual podcast. Sorry, people. Sometimes you know Matt and I are doing this week. Let's be honest, Matt. It's hard for you and I to do more than four months, which we're already doing. So we're right. we're going to start some of these podcasts by talking other things but uh starting this week i'm gonna have a table of contents <laughs> so you know yep. in the future if you guys want to jump straight into certain shows uh you'll be able to do so um because matt and i generally and we're gonna tie know. this to a, a yes a, another our first show we're yes. gonna start with is supergirl which is also go. i was just going another there. Just direction go. leading into this this discussion of a show that exists in the specific yep political climate right so look for the um, table of contents this is the exact transition i wanted to and was really awkwardly and taking too long to get there so go ahead buddy i would also say i think wesleyan may be the only school in the country where you can call somebody else a neo-imperialist oh yeah um they called me the I, great white father actually was was, was uh, yeah. yeah after my <laughs> freshman year i abandoned all interest in the political climate at wesleyan and just went to class played ultimate frisbee and partied climate, little, cl- little like i, yeah. I Climate, climate well, usually partying. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say climate implies that there's some diversity in the spectrum among the activism there. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, anyway, yeah. And, to, and as yeah. I understand, it's maybe gotten more so since we graduated. I, I well, the Trump administration isn't going to make things better. Although to be fair, some of the people I w- that were sort of nemeses of mine there politically, I actually befriended uh, after the fact when, when we w- got off that fucking bubble, and we we're like, okay, we're both liberal. Let's get off our high horses and work together. And you know, that'll be my last general thought: is it's important to talk about the problems with liberalism, but liberals cannibalizing one another is part of how we ended up in this mess. That's really what I was trying to say. So we need to do it carefully. I would probably agree with that. A friend of mine posted that a lot of political discussion seems to be people on the same side arguing over semantics and minor divisions and assuming everybody on the other side is completely of the same mind about the issue. Right. Um, Which is exactly what happened on my podcast with Eric, although I thought we (laughs) did it in a self-aware way. I mean, that was the whole point of choosing Bill Maher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Go ahead, buddy. Anyway, let, let's transition yes. over to TV. Um, and so we're going to start with Supergirl, which it's an interesting thought experiment mm. of if Hillary or Sanders had been elected, would this season of TV that we can see changing as the political, you know, to reflect and react to the political climate and certain political issues ne- this coming week, basically tonight, if you're listening to it on Monday. Uh, is going to deal with immigration. If we had a Democratic president, would the show have gone in this direction? Okay. And it's hard to answer. Obviously, Trump was already in the primary season when the original scripts were being written, so probably it was going to react to that in some way. But Uh it's really this interesting question of, does Supergirl go in the direction it goes if the presidential election goes differently? So can you give all of us, because again, I've only seen some of season two and not much of season one, although I know how they've been introducing these themes. 
Um, and this will bring us back to something we talked about, I think, last week, which is trying to figure out when they're filming what and when things are written and so forth. But could you just give the Bizzlecast listeners sort of a loose kind of living timeline? It doesn't even have to be, you know, what date it aired or even what season it is. But in just in your recollection, how they've built to the point where they're starting to deal head on with a bunch of political issues without really being preachy. And it feels totally organic to me personally. Right. All right. So the show debuted uh, in October 2015. The first season, which was on CBS, not the CW, so maybe they also felt like they had to mainstream the content a little bit more to try to attract as broad an audience as they could. And, you know, to give some numbers, you know, 12, almost 13 million people watched the season one premiere on the C- on CBS Three million watched the CW premiere, so mm. you know the ratings numbers dropped precipitously, um, which is what happens when you go from CBS to CW. But so the first season, there were definitely themes. You know, there were some feminist themes about, but a lot of it felt like it was about Kara. You know, when the show begins, she isn't Supergirl. She becomes Supergirl in the first episode, but. She just sort of been living, working at Catco, hiding who she is, uh, and then Alex is on a plane that goes down, which is how Superman reveals himself to the world is saving a plane that has Lois Lane on it. That's usually the story. That's almost always oh. the way by which Superman debuts. So that's, there was a that's the plane she saves in the opening bit. Is her? Is, yeah. Is her? Alex is on that plane. Alex is on that plane. It's some <sighs> kind of test plane. And she saves her in the pilot. So then she's revealed. Then she says, okay, Superman's my cousin. I've been afraid to try to like be in to do what he does, but now I want to do it. She joins the DEO where Alex is already working. You know, and then the first season was, was also bogged down by her having feelings for uh, James Olsen and not mm. knowing how to express them. Um, and I say bogged down because their chemistry just was never all that good. And I think that's the reason why Makad Brooks has been so minimal in season yeah, two. They're and clearly I, gritting him out. Yeah, yeah. I continue to believe he's going to say goodbye. I don't think he's going to die. I no. hope not. But no, I, think I think he's going right. to yeah. at the end of season two. I, I, unless he's willing to take a pay cut, I don't know why they'd keep him around or why he'd want to stick around for this little work. Um so the first season definitely had some themes of feminism, of empowerment, obviously, um, of, you know, what I've said before that Supergirl is inherently feminist because it argues that everything Superman represents could just as easily be done by a woman. Um, and and I so they're feminist. Se- I totally missed it until this past episode in the beginning. Yeah, this was the first episode where I've ever heard them actually use the word feminist oh, to describe yeah. her. Awesome. I I liked it, but I did not love it. It's one of those moments where I thought the dialogue was too on the nose, which I've accused Supergirl of being from time to time. It's not a major complaint, but it's like I don't think you need to say something is feminist if everybody knows it is already. So why they have to like oh, – That's not what I was referring to. I was referring to just the opening bit like right before or right when you see her with the, the president or whatever. They, they, they refer to her as like a – you know, modern feminist superhero or something like that. Well, I think. In, the news, in the newscast in the beginning of the episode, yeah. they say Supergirl, our own feminist hero oh, or whatever. Like, yeah. Do you really need to call her that? Does anybody really yes. not think 
So I think so. I'm fine with it. It's not a dirty word or anything that we should be afraid to use, but it's one of those moments where I thought it was unnecessary. Um, and I'm always more of a fan of showing something than saying it or telling it to you. I don't know, that- man. When you have Trump women on the right say that feminism is a danger to women in the country, women yeah. saying this, I do think it's important to say it. You know, I mean, maybe. Yeah, that's a perfectly fair counter argument. Yeah. For me, it was unnecessary because sure. I never needed to, somebody to tell me that because I already knew she was right. a, a feminist here, one of the you know three or four best you know up there with JJ as Jessica Jones. As yeah. those are the two most feminist superheroes we've had so far in terms of agency, in right. terms of empowerment, Although, in terms. Of, if someone called Jessica Jones feminist to her face, she'd probably puke. <laughs> Sure, probably, because she doesn't like causes and she just mostly wants to be for herself because mentally she's not in a place yet where she can start to think about what she represents to other people. That's all fine. But she does still beat a rapist to death, basically. I mean, she's extremely feminist, um, which is great. Uh, You know, but sometimes I think Supergirl scripts are too on the nose. I think they're too obvious in what they're saying when it doesn't need to be said and i think it's you know just a a little oversimplified but that's all fine but yeah this season has been much more political it is much more acknowledged the idea that there is a sort of a cultural war going on with women right now i probably many people would argue there always has been but it feels incredible it feels like a loud war going on right now yeah um it's gone from a cold war to back to a hot war i think yeah yeah, maybe maybe that'd be fair although again i'm sure there are lots of women who would say it's always been a hot war but i i don't know for for people who were previously unaware of it it probably feels like it's it's especially strong right now yeah i think the difference is for the last couple decades it's been about increasing rights um for the most part, you know, or preserving and increasing. Now it's about preventing the, these massive radical rollbacks, like giving te- doctors in Texas the ability to lie to their female patients yeah, about their that. babies and so their mm-hmm. unborn babies, and you know, and, and forcing women to take ultrasounds immediately before ha- having an abortion and stuff like that. Right, and it's interesting that the issues that Supergirl has dealt with. Reproductive rights aren't one of them yet. Now, I'm not saying Supergirl will never do an issue about freedom of, you know, pro being pro-choice or abortion or anything like that. They very well might. But for now, the 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 battle they've decided to fight is the immigrant battle, is the aliens battle, yep. um, which for a character who did come to Earth illegally is a completely appropriate. Um, and who was pretty much created, or at least Superman was created, by the child of immigrants. In fact, almost all of the superheroes we have were created by Jews who either were European immigrants or were the children of European immigrants, probably legal immigrants, but mm-hmm. I, I'd argue that's mostly semantics at this point. Yep. Um, so that's the fight they've decided to have, is we're going to talk about how Supergirl would you know, is an immigrant character and needs to be allied with immigrants who are afraid for their safety right now. Um, yeah, and to be fair, I did research this. Um, both, obviously, the LGBT stuff, but the immigration stuff too was fully planned before the season. So this was right, in their I mean, mi- this was in their sure. minds just with Donald Trump as the c- candidate in the primaries. Yes. I mean, when he, once he announced his candidacy and, we, and said we have to build a wall, yep. which he did promise in his first speech, 
the issue of immigration and immigrant status in America became part of the political discussion. And so even when they were writing their scripts last summer, all of that rhetoric was had long since been established. So, yeah, I don't think even if Hillary had won, the uh, the conversation would have been all that different, um, especially because even if Hillary had won, the Democrats would have still lost a lot of ground in the House and the Senate. And so probably a Democratic president would have faced an obstructionist Congress and all this same shit would still be coming to pass. Um, yeah. So, you know, this particular episode is actually not really about any of that stuff. It's very much feels just like a setup for next week's or yeah. tonight's episode. If you're listening on Monday, yeah. um, which is going to deal with a plot to, as far as I can tell, deport or kill illegal aliens living in the United States, which is about as direct a take on a political issue and a political threat that's being, that's kind of hanging over our heads right now, as I can think of. Supergirl continues to have some of the greatest cold opens of any network TV show. I mean, right. I, I was, li- I was late last night. I was literally laughing out loud at the Monal gag. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep it secret. We don't need to talk about it. Yeah, we've been together. We've been together now for about a couple weeks. <laughs> I, I was, I was, I mean, that's the thing. I don't, why can't the other CW shows be, take themselves less seriously and be more funny? Because Supergirl nails it almost every single time. I, I mean, I was, that's the thing, man. I bought, it's bought me so much goodwill in that show that even if they had done the, okay, we're going to keep this quiet and then this is going to be a subplot of them giving each other meaningful looks and then eventually Alex or John or someone would call him out on it. That's right. what I, that would be the obvious move and I would have been fine with it, you know, but to, to just but do it that way was anchor, great. Man. Yeah, and she had to talk to HR. You know, and right. he's serious about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the way they react is yeah, so Anchorman. funny. Yeah. You guys have to deal with a what is it? It's like a, a sexual harassment Sex- lecture or something. Yeah. Like that. Which again, they just had a story the other day about how there's you know whenever a new White House staff comes in, you have to go through like a, a long series of training on sexual harassment and stuff like that. And Trump right. just unilaterally canceled it. You know, <laughs> so no one had to go through sensitivity training. You know, I mean, th- these these stories just keep lining up with the bad shit going on with Trump. Um, right. And dude, every time I post stuff about Supergirl or just bring it up, people who I would think it would have no interest in it uh, uh, seem interested or at least know what's going on with the show and appreciate what they're trying to do. I think they really are making a mark on the culture. And the fact that Supergirl is, I believe, I trying to, which is more than I yeah. can say for any other superhero show. And and the show is outperforming Arrow, which is barely outperforming Legends. Actually, Arrow might be fourth at this point in terms of ratings. Yeah. I mean, Legends has gotten a big bump because it's right next to The Flash, which I think outperformed Arrow last year. Yeah. Um, I don't know what The Flash's ratings are exactly right now. We know all these shows are coming back next year. Yeah. Um, Legends is also a lot better this year than it was. I haven't di- – I've liked, you know, just sort of the – we're going to go all over the universe and not give a fuck attitude of the last few episodes. So as long as they keep doing that, I'm cool with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I figured out why Wentworth Miller as Captain Cold isn't back because there's a new season of Prison Break coming out. Uh, and I think he and Dominic Purcell wanted to go back and do another season of that. Uh-huh. Um, huh. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, okay, man. Um I know you have some quick other stuff to say about the CW. Did you want to do that now, or do you want to talk about that at the end? 
I think we should talk about that on the en- at the end. Okay. I, I mean, that's good because Supergirl I, I, really is just a setup episode. Yeah. Jeremiah Danvers, played by Dean Cain, comes back. He's good, but clear he's good in the role, but clearly he's become a cyborg or he's a bad guy or or something. I, I and everybody is so happy to see him that they don't take Monel's question questioning it seriously. It's fine. I don't think it was one of the strongest episodes, but it was also one of the least standalone episodes that they've had this season. So, you know, I, hopefully there's just a payoff next week that makes just sort of getting through this filler episode uh, worth it. Sure. Um, okay, man. We need to talk Legion because yes. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know how to say this, man. I feel like I'm breaking up with you. This is this is really I'm having. <laughs> I, I was really dreading this moment. Yeah, yeah, get to it. <sighs> Just rip the Band-Aid off, you know. The, they'll leave a scar, but I, I'll recover. And and every time I look at it, I'll I'll remember look, the pain you caused. Look, but I, I watched the whole episode. Okay, right. I haven't canceled the DVRing. Okay, but I tuned out mentally about halfway through, and I may have been lost on this show for good. And I want to stress yet once more, one more time that this is not a case of me possibly being lost on a show because it is bad. It is me being lost on a show because I do not understand, nor am I gaining pleasure in what's going on. And while I recognize the talent of the cast and the interesting things they're trying to do, again, this is like Moonlight. I, I can appreciate the, all the parts, but the sums of the parts don't add up for me personally as a watcher. And... I think, you know, after after seeing Logan, I, I actually made a conscious decision to go into this episode thinking that has zero connection to the X-Men, or at least nothing that I've known about. Just watch it just right. purely as a piece of television. But when he has his architect moment, as I call it, <laughs> yeah, I was that that was for me what happened with you with the architect in the Matrix Reloaded. And Jermaine Clemens is fucking hilarious, and I was dying at the beginning of the show. But and the, and the only reason I mentioned Legion in connection to Get Out is because of the bizarre. I, I think they're trying to do some comedic stuff with Legion, but the fact that I can't tell oh, yeah. whether it's supposed to be funny or not, and when it's supposed to be funny, uh, as I texted you, I don't know. I said the word smart. I said I don't know if I'm smart enough for this show. I don't know if I'm artsy enough for this show. This show might be too abstract and artsy for me. Um, and you know, this isn't a knock on the show. This isn't knock on you who likes the show. I certainly do not feel like you need to defend this whatsoever. I want to hear your thoughts about it. But I did tell my dad last night I was considering lying to you for one more week about my possible inability to finish this season. I am going to try episode five, but this was the first episode that even though I watched the whole thing, I was sort of tuned out for the second half. So... There it is, Matt. This was bound to happen with a TV show eventually. Probably, even though it's already happened with several TV shows that I like that you tried that you've been unable <laughs> to stick with. But, I mean... Well, we'll contrast it to Arrow later, but which is a show that I've watched 120 out of 130 episodes. Actually, maybe more. But this is, this, is, this is the opposite example of a show that we started together from the beginning that I was really hoping I, I could get through. Um, so... And then, well, I saw your notes. So t- tell the business guys listeners what, what you thought of this episode. All right. First thing I'd say is if you can force yourself to do it, 
it's only four episodes left, and you may want to just try to get through one more month with this just to see if it, for you, pays off the confusion of this episode. And this is a confusing-ass episode. The characters are confused. They don't understand what's happening. The audience definitely, you know, is confused. I was confused at the beginning when this guy shows up, and I really was like, why the hell is there a narrator for this episode, which is episode four of Mm -hmm. eight, when until then the narrators have been characters that we're already familiar with. And in fact, there is Sid's voiceover in this episode too. So we have a narrator and a voiceover character. Honestly, yes, this episode was weird as hell. And that did make it a very different experience from last week where it was even in its kind of confusion, just this viscerally terrifying bit of television that I found quite enjoyable. Mm-hmm. On some intellectual level, I kind of dug how off the wall this episode was, where he climbs inside an iceberg and people are switching bodies and the psychiatrist lives in a candy cane painted lighthouse. And then it turns out that Audrey Plaza's character actually was a dude, but then Audrey Plaza might also exist but is maybe actually the devil with the yellow eyes. Spoil. I'm, we're just spoiling. Yeah, so spoil. We warned you, I think, in the first episode of this, we're going to talk mm. about plot and development. So if you don't want to know what's happening, get over it. Um, quit watching, but please don't uh, quit listening. But please don't quit listening because we, we like having listeners. Um, <laughs> They're li- they watching. I, yes. The episode was bizarre as hell. It was... I. <laughs> obtuse in the in the sense that it's hard to penetrate it um and get and kind of figure out what it's all about the first half is more or less setting up the second half so yeah i i I mean i i can't argue that it's not really confusing and in that way it's probably it's probably alienating uh for me i really liked it it has the dark bizarreness of a Coen Brothers project, uh, or and or Noah Hawley's take on a Coen Brothers project in Fargo, um, which I really liked. Uh, well, I don't know, man. I uh, uh, let me just say, <clears throat> you know, the surreality, <clears throat> the surreality in yeah, in the Coen Brothers works right are still based on a sort of real gritty realism. Right, they're sort of just weird happenstances that happen in otherwise believable environments. I mean, the most trippy they go are the dude hallucinations yeah. in Big Lebowski. That's but, exactly what I was about to but say. But those are like fun music videos where you totally get what all the symbolism means. You know what I mean? This is more like they're trying to be like Terry Gilliam, who is, is a movie maker that I absolutely love for fans of Monty Python or Brazil or a thousand other things that he's done, 12 Monkeys and so forth. There, there's, there's a carnival, carnival-esque, uh, you know, circus carnival-esque atmosphere mm-hmm. to what you almost have the monkey with the, uh, you know, with the, the, the grind box thing. You know, I mean, I'm I, like I'm almost hearing that and seeing that in the background. But for right. some reason, when Terry Gilliam does it, usually I I get at some subconscious level the, the bizarre illogical logic, if you will, of what's going on. That just hasn't hit me yet. Here it doesn't mean it won't. But I just I just don't. Under, that's the thing. I, I, 
the, the, the weird psychology stuff. I mean, you talk about how you don't really look for philosophy and stuff. You look for, for psychology. And so this is, yeah, this for me is the, uh, I'm the guy who would normally be, if this was philosophy instead of psychology, I would be the one guy who'd be into it. Like in the Matrix sequels and everyone else would think it was just, not ununderstandable and not worth the attempt. Now, this is worth the attempt, and I think the way to keep me on this man is to give me, because you almost always watch these shows before I do during the week, is to, mm-hmm. with Legion, if you could give me just like a, a quick description for the next few episodes before I watch, if you have time, even just like a few sentences, uh, interpretation of what's happening, like you can even spoil the episode from a plot standpoint just so I can understand what's going on. I just, the reason I would stop watching it is because if I'm not getting pleasure from the aesthetic experience and I just am not smart enough or, or, or abstract enough to understand what's going on, I don't know why I'm watching because it just hurts my brain. I mean, I can do that, but I am more of the opinion that you should go into it without a ton of pre-knowledge and just experience it. I, I, you know, you texted me while you were watching, and in some ways I think that's the wrong way to do something like this because the only way you're going to have a chance at enjoying it or understanding it is to be present for it. And I know that watching TV presents all these opportunities to watch distract in a distracted manner in a way that going to the movies doesn't because you're in a dark room and you're not supposed to look at your cell phone and all of that. But the only chance you have with a show like this to get anything out of it is to watch it just watching it, is to not do anything else to distract yourself from it while it's happening. Now, I will say that, yeah, this is a really hard show to get into And even I don't entirely know – I don't know where it's going, and I don't know what to make of every single image that I see towards some kind of resolution um, for this character that as he figures his internal shit out, he's going to be able to function more externally. That whatever this war with the Directive 12 or whatever the hell the government group is called – the only way he's going to be capable of really fighting them is to understand himself. And so this premise of do the work that Sid proposes, I think in the two episodes ago now, um, there's a reason why he's working through all of this mental shit now, because the only way he can know the good guys from the bad guys is to be in a solid and to be in the right place within himself. Um, And if this episode as it reveals right at the end, it seems like Lenny, the Aubrey Plaza character that he talks to in his mind after she's, in theory, been killed, although now there's all these questions about who exactly was that that got smashed up against the wall. If that is the devil with the yellow eyes, then that revelation, as weird and confusing as it is, does seem to be one step towards all the different shit in his brain coalescing into one identity um and i was right by the way that his that that thing is some kind of defense mechanism they say that in this episode that every time we try to go in this monster attacks and kicks us out which is what i sort of predicted the the devil with the yellow eyes was yeah and there's some interesting line early on from um rachel keller she says he's hiding his real memories behind fake ones right and then they're like, but they don't seem implanted from the outside, so it's like he's implanting his memories. 
mm-hmm. within his own brain. All of these things are very interesting. I just haven't connected to the characters. I mean, it's not, you know, like, I just don't, you know, I mean, I'm not tuned in each week the way I, I've started to get with The Expanse to see what happens to these characters. I don't really care because none of it feels real, and I'm not sure what's real. And so in in the world uh, of the unreal, you know, that then everything is real and nothing is real. And I don't really buy their romance. Again, not because they have bad, bad chemistry necessarily. I just don't. It, it just never really set up for me properly, you know? And, like, do I buy, like, you know, Holden's and Naomi's romance in The Expanse? I don't know. But it's such a minor part of that show, at least so far. You know, this is right. all hinged around these two sort of being, you know, star-crossed lovers, and I just I just don't really buy it. Um, I don't want to say too much about this show. Um, I, I would happy, be happy for you to talk about anything you want, because I, I, there's no, like, straight-up criticisms. I, I'm just having trouble, and you know this happens you with me, man. You just don't get it. I just don't get it. I just, it's just not h- hating for me, and... Uh, <clears throat> You know, and, and so I, I don't want this to be a reason to stop talking about it this week or stop talking about it a future week. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm just sta- I'm just staring at the TV now. To me, this is a show. Actually, this goes against what I said earlier on in the series. But this is a show that I think would be- benefit from being shorter. But you know, I, I, I'm sure the people like you who really like the show are glad for the longer, you know, like full hour of TV uh, content format. Um, but you know, that's, that's always my problem with shows that are slow and then they get even longer. You know, it's like the, the, the slow game of Thrones episodes feel even slower cause it takes so long. They don't have that 42 minute, 45 minute cutoff. I don't know if that would truly change anything to me. So can I, well, can I ask you some bigger questions about the show? Cause that's what I'm more interested in. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to start hearing theories about where, where you think this is going in terms of the characters. Is Lenny truly dead? Is she alive? Is she a bad guy? You know, what's, who, who are the real bad guys and good guys here? Um, what are some just theories that you have? And, and this is a safe space. So you don't need to like provide tons of evidence. It could just be things that, that you thought of or, 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 you know, occur to you as you're kind of watching. I'm curious to see where you think this is going. Um, other than just, you know, more crazy uh, imagery every week. Right. So I still don't know what the devil actually is. It clearly is its own thing. If the devil is Aubrey Plaza and and sort of when people come in, it, it, it appears in its true form as that blobby gray monster thing. It's also clearly a manifestation of the darkest parts of David's powers because – when he gets angry watching what he thinks is Sid, Sid Barrett's character with a knife up against her throat, we know that it's Sid about to kill the, the, the eye guy, the, the bad guy. But he gets really angry and teleports him in. And as he gets angrier, his image is superimposed uh-huh. with the devil. So the devil is clearly the manifesta- some kind of dark manifestation of himself, kind of like Onslaught was with um, Professor X, uh, which was sort of the personification of all of his darkest feelings and emotions and the darkest part of his powers. This was a comic that happened, I think, in like 2000, something like that. But it's also clearly something that has its own ends that wants to be free of this coma so it can use David for something or maybe even become corporeal i don't know i don't know where it comes from but clearly it can appear in its true form and it can appear as aubrey plaza 
I think maybe to try to manipulate David into doing what it wants without scaring him. Because every time David sees the devil, he freaks the hell out. And so does everybody else who sees it too. Mm. Um, I still have no idea what the angriest boy is, what that represents. That's clearly some other thing in his brain because uh, he's scared of that. And Sid can see it sometimes just in the trees. Um, so how and what all of this is, I, I'm still not entirely sure. But it seems to me that the devil is both some very dark part of David or a dark personality that's underneath the David that we think of as the main personality. And it's, it seems like it's trying to get out in some way. I think this is just a genre thing too. I mean, the the first note I took watching that, the scene and the way that, uh, Rachel Keller and who's the, uh, the young African American gentleman. Um, Um, who's like the autonomy. uh, Yeah. He's like a memory forensics expert or something. Uh, yeah, he has. Uh, yeah. I think he has an eidetic memory. He like right. doesn't forget, but he's also uh, objects too. You can yeah, exactly. Objects. He's some yeah. kind of telepath or or yeah. sense yeah. something. I don't know. So yeah, so this is you know it's it's interesting that everyone's sort of telepathic. It, you know, in X Men, yep. there's plenty of telepaths, but there's only a couple powerful ones, and they delineate that pretty clearly. Um, and that's part of why you need, you know, Wolverine, Gambit, and Cyclops to counteract M. Frost, Charles, and Jean Grey, for example, in terms of building the team, in my opinion. But um, just those character types, archetypes, whatever, stereotypes. Um, but, uh, what was I but, yeah, so this the Legion feels like the three genres that, or types of, uh, of production that it reminds me the most of is like kind of horror, like old school horror mixed mm-hmm. with film noir. I mean, it's definitely film noir. I mean, this one was clearly a hard boiled film noir. You know, kind of. I mean, yeah, the narration. I mean, they're investigating and, yeah, something. Yeah, oh, they're- yeah. And with the music and the sort of right. over the top dialogue. Um, right. But it also feels like kind of an off Broadway play. You know, there's something very theatrical about it. And like, all three of those genres are genres I super appreciate, but none of them are like in the t- top five, you know, uh, of my personal genre. So I think that's part of what's going on is that I'm not really into horror the way you are. Um, I'm not, I don't know. If and I'm not f- even that into horror. Yeah. I mean, I have yeah. friends who love that genre. I like it enough, but I will not go out of my way to see horror movies for the most part. Like I skipped the good ones that I skipped. It follows, which horror fans told me right. is amazing. I skipped Babadook, which I heard was amazing, just because I don't like that genre. I saw Get Out because I I yeah. saw Get Out, but yeah, yeah, but, but okay, but you're you're more open to it, I think, than yes, than I 100%. am, and uh, um, and, and you know, it's just not really my thing, <clears throat> and so I, I guess the other thing is. As decentralized as the experience is, it's a pretty centralized show in terms of the main cast. Um, and so you don't get that l- little ensemble benefit of having side characters that you can get into if you're not relating to sort of the main, the main storyline. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, I, I, I wanted nothing more than to really like this show. And I'm, I'm certainly gonna keep giving each, each week an attempt. Um, but it, and maybe it's just the timing, uh, my mood, and you know, some shows it really depends on time of day and time of the week and your mood and so forth, so forth. Um, so, uh, what, what what do you think uh, it would be? Um, what do you think might happen next week, and what we, and or what would you like to see happen next week? <laughs> might happen. I got no idea. Okay. I, I think 
I watched the trailer for next week, and David says my whole life has been a lie. So it seems like there is some conclusion about some of this that we're starting to move towards. Um, because I don't think they can still be doing therapy stuff in episode eight. I think episode eight has got to be a mostly combat episode, which would be a nice bookend to the first episode, which had the most action of any episode of the first four, even with the, the car chase at the end of this episode. Um, so if the first episode ends with a, a battle and the last episode ends with a battle, to me that feels like a, a good way to take the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so these next couple of episodes are going to have to be the ones where he really starts to make inroads into figuring out what the hell is going wrong with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, this is also a case of if I if I knew the end game, like counterfactually, if I say this gets renewed for season two and at the end of this season and season two, uh, th- there's a jump in terms of plot and cohesiveness and coherence. You know, it's possible that seeing a bit of an end goal would be easier for me to to, to get through this part because I, I just don't know. And they keep saying it's going to get weirder every week, and that's not a selling point for me. You know, and, and I do feel like again, this is a baseless accusation. I do feel like it's a little masturbatory in terms of how much weirdness can we stuff into this, and the line between things being hard to understand because it's intentional and that's artsy, and that just doing it because you know, doing it just to do it, to seem artsy, right. is a difficult line. I- I'm not saying sure. it's the latter. It's probably the former like, that I'm just not picking up on. You have to admit, right. though, it shows like this, it's really hard to have any sort of objective analysis of. And so, therefore, it comes completely down to sort of the aesthetic personal experience, which is fine. No, I, I probably agree with that. I mean, your comparison of the scenes with Oliver as that character's name to the scenes with the architect, which I've said before – are right on the line, or for me at least, they're over that line of being, you know, intelligent to being intentionally confusing and even self-congratulating or masturbatory, to use your word. Um, and the look of those two scenes are, are almost identical, with the guy in white sitting at a table with stuff in the background. Um, I, I mean, I thought Oliver was hilarious. I yeah. thought he was really funny when well, he Jermaine plays. Clements is hilarious, right? Though. When he plays that really discordant jazz, I don't know who that artist is, but just – and he starts dancing and, and he's like, do the girls still do free love and burn your bras? And <laughs> David's like, no, bras are, are pretty much back. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> you yeah. know, I – the show is yeah. fun even yeah. as it's – for me, even as it's bizarre and very hard to access at times. Um, I don't know. I, I – these guys, Noah Hawley had this really clear idea of what he wanted to do, and I'm kind of curious to see how far he'll take it and whether or not he can keep it and conclude it in an effective way or if it's just going to utterly collapse on itself by the end, um, mm-hmm. which the OA was a 10-part show on Netflix that set up all of this weird stuff and then completely fell in on itself in the last two or three episodes. So, you know... We I've seen this go both ways. Be really curious how to do it. In some ways, maybe what I like about this is this is weird and different. And what I really wanted from Doctor Strange was it to be weird and different. And it was weird at times, but very, very formulaic the whole rest of the time. And this is nothing. It's certainly you couldn't call it formulaic. You might not like it, but you can't tell me you've seen too much like this. Um, 
you know, that astral plane that David goes into looks a lot simpler in its design than anything in Doctor Strange, but it looks a lot better and it works a lot more in creating this bizarre ambiance to it. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah, it's true. I, 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 I dislike Doctor Strange and I'm not sure about Legion for the exact opposite reasons. Uh, it's it's so hard to do, you know. It's so hard to do astral planes and what the mind looks like and so forth. Um, so uh, yeah, you have to admit though that it wouldn't kill them to have like five percent more structure to the show, right? I mean, just a little bit, if, if at least teasing some places the show could go because it can literally go anywhere, and and that's I guess freeing in a way. But, you know, freedom is life's great lie, as we've discussed. And uh, it's possible they've painted themselves into a corner of being, out, of being too broad. Um, right. I don't know. Again, just hypothesizing. So we'll, we'll continue to monitor the situation. The thing is, man, I, my disappointment or whatever, I, I, however to describe it with the show, is not at all influenced by or, influ- or influencing of anything about my feelings towards the X-Men. This was just a show I wanted to like. So I'm not like disappointed because it's not an X-Men show and I'm not disappointed because, you know, it's supposed to be an X-Men show or that it, anything like that. I just as taking it on its own, I just haven't connected with it. I'd be, it, I don't know. Have you talked to other people? We'll move on. Have you talked to other people? I know you say the wise doesn't really talk about it and any blogs or podcasts you listen to, um, that, that go, in depth into the show that that you've listened to or read not really um i i don't watch tv in the same way that i think you and maybe a lot of other people do which is i kind of just watch these things and then i stop consuming them as soon as i'm done watching them i i well you listen to the watch I, i do listen to the watch um but that's it i mean there there's people pointed this out with westworld that apparently if you go on reddit Westworld was solved like they solved the actual climax episode four weeks in advance without any knowledge other than just talking constantly and constantly and constantly about what was going on and basically they came up with the right solution there's this for Game of Thrones I I, I think in a lot of ways the internet has made it much harder to actually just have an experience watching anything because you are so bogged down with other opinions with other information i i you know i don't even if i like an episode of the expanse i don't necessarily am i'm gonna go out and read all the thoughts from the writers or the directors or anything like that i just kind of want to have my reaction and have that reaction be it and then i want to process that work through it and be done with it and then start moving on to the next thing moving forward i i think it's very easy to get bogged down in how much secondary information is available about any major tv show that it just i don't know it turns the experience into something it's it just becomes all cognitive instead of at all visceral or emotional and that for me is not as fun um that's fine i just thought maybe this would be an exception because even you have no fucking clue what's going on. And maybe you like it that way. So that's totally fine. I think I read one, one epi- story on the ringer, Bill Simmons, new website. It was like, it was just like a, who is the most confused character on Legion right now? And so it was like a top 10 of 
which Me. character seems to not get it. Well, they said <laughs> the audience doesn't know what the hell's going yeah. on, and clearly the characters don't either. Yeah. So here's our list of who is the most confused, and then it's like in sequential order. And that it, that was funny more than anything else. Um, but like if the AV Club doesn't like this episode, I don't really care. You know, if CBR, I've kind of quit reading comic book resources. I didn't mean I didn't mean for reviews' sake. I didn't mean for opinion's sake. I just meant trying to figure what the fuck's going on. But um, that's fine. Um, so, all right. Well, our next show is not one that needs a whole lot of interpretation, but continues to be fucking awesome, dude. I was giddy watching The Expanse last night. Maybe because it was after Legion, where I just right just dead and dry and just like needed <laughs> something but the action um and the increasingly better character development and interaction among the rosinanti crew i mean this show Absolutely. literally keeps getting better every single episode yeah and this had the best laugh out loud scene yet with the with the the reveal that wasn't the reveal that Holden yeah. and Naomi are sleeping together and the two other guys having a bet on when it started <laughs> yeah I, that whole sequence i thought it was going to go one way i thought you know because amos just kind of smolders and clearly kind of follows natalie around uh or follows um naomi excuse me why did i say natalie uh follows naomi around um like a puppy that he would be resentful. But then when it's finally revealed that they knew all along that Holden and the nine, we were sleeping together. And then Kamal is like, okay, fine. You get your shot. And he almost gives him a wet willy instead. Um, (laughs) The whole scene is so funny. And then to put the perfect button on it, um, you know, Holden is, he comes up to Amos afterwards and, and just is like, I'm glad you're not taking it the wrong way. He says, she's like a sister to me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd do her if she let me. And then there's a good two-second pause before Holden goes, I'm glad we had this talk. Glad we had this talk, yeah. I, Holden, I, I think I figured out what kind of irks me about him is he has a, to be blunt, he kind of has a dumb face. Yeah. Like, he has this dumb face expression. And that's what I think about Blackthorn, and that's why I thought they look similar with their dumb, douchey faces a little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, but there, it really works of this kind of just ridiculousness. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they've kind of de-escalated Amos's character a little bit and and let, let him have a little bit more emotional range than just being, you know, raged raged out and a little cynical all yes. the time. Yeah, um, I think even though we do yeah. see that later, but yeah, I mean, you know who else was dumb but is lovable and really clever? Han Solo. You know, I mean, or Jane. I mean, Amos is a Jane no, in terms of leader characters. I mean, even Luke Skywalker right. isn't particularly oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. bright. You know, I mean, that was the great no, thing about idealistic. Luke. Right. Well, that's the great thing about Luke Skywalker is he's not hyper capable from a brain standpoint. He's really good at a few things, and he happens to be strong with the Force. Now, I happen to think the Daisy Ridley portrayal is going to end up being more interesting. Uh, in the modern day, having her be smart as well as talented and, and you know more complicated, but the great thing about Luke Skywalker was he wasn't particularly intellectual, and that's part of why as a young sure. kid you can get behind it. And sometimes, man, to be honest, you don't even want your central leader to be the, the, the most intellectual or deep-thinking person because they have to be making life-or-death decisions all the time. And you know, part of why 
um, the Adama Tai relationship on Battlestar works so well, and why he keeps Tai around is because Tai is the, just the right kind of stupid for when things go really, really, really bad, and you have to decide between two horrible decisions and make the correct horrible decisions. Sometimes guys like Tai, uh, who's doppelganger by the way, got killed on the Expanse last night. Um, right. But uh, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Like it's sort of unrealistic. The, the, the Patrick Stewart model. Of 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 ship leader is actually somewhat unrealistic, you know. He's too good at too many things. Now that's a very Star Trek Federation type thing, um, you know. And uh, I think all the captains fall and in, in, uh, the Star Trek captains fall into that. And that's why Kirk, I still think, is ultimately the best, both the original portrayal and the Chris Pine portrayal, because they're a little dense at times, but that's part of what makes them great leaders and great captains. And so, yeah, I think the writers either recognized or they've just been hiding for us that they're cool with him being a little dense, uh, you know, as long as he remains a good person and a good leader. I don't know if that made any sense. I, basically, I'm agreeing with you that that was, that was cool to see and a great moment of character development for him. Um, because if you notice, yeah. Naomi was not surprised that they knew. Like, No, yeah. because she's always... A- you know, it's always felt like Naomi is part of the crew and he is the captain. And even if she has a slightly elevated state, it feels sometimes like she is the go-between for Holden and uh, Alex and Amos. Um, yeah. Which, you know, which I'm fine with. Like, she's the second in command. She's Riker. And she's more personable than the captain, just like Riker was more personable than Picard. Um, in my opinion, Picard was fine, but I, you yes. know, the kind of the down to earth friends with everybody, uh, you know, immediately kind of likable. Yeah. That was Riker more so. Absolutely. Riker you know, is the tie more to, handsome yeah. in kind of a, a general, a classical sense. Right. So, you know, if she's Riker, she is the one who is between Alex and Amos who are kind of at equal points with each other even though Alex has more to do as the pilot and Holden who's making all the decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's cool about Riker and what's cool about Ty is that with the number two is, is that they're always, they're always gearing up for a fight, right? They're always itching for a fight. And so in the many Star Trek episodes and the handful of battle star episodes where the decision was primarily moral or ethical rather than military, the captain's usually right, you know, or, or, you know, or in Adama's case, the commander admiral's usually right. But when the shit does hit the fan in Star Trek occasionally, you're really glad. And often Picard actually hands off military stuff on the bridge to Riker um, when, when shit goes down. Yeah, sometimes he does, you know, uh, and, uh, or, you know, or he'll send Riker away on the command, the, uh, uh, send Riker away on the away team. And you right. know, in danger, very dangerous situations, and Riker gets very upset, you know, when when he's not allowed to do that. So you kind of need that bulldog a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I like how there's not a definitive second in command in terms of rank on the ship. And even the you know, even Holden being the leader is sort of by consensus as opposed to any real rank at this point after everything they've been through. Well, you know what does right. bother me is that Cass Anvar gets billed ahead of. Um, of uh, Naomi's uh, act, 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 actress in the in the what in the opening credits in the opening credits on IMDb like it's like yeah it goes like it goes Stephen Strait Cass Anvar and then um, I'm blanking on her name uh, and that you know and then uh, the guy who plays the guy who plays Amos you know I, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. 
men almost when there's a tiebreaker men or people who are older always get the tiebreaker and i'm cool with people who are older getting the tiebreaker but the fact that men always seem to get the tiebreaker doesn't make sense now maybe cas anvar has like a more like a longer more illustrious career before now and that's maybe why um is i actually have a much simpler uh possibility Go. so there's all kinds of rules about who can appear as what so steven Strait. I would argue, is one of the stars. It was him and Miller. But because Thomas Jane was a name, I think sometimes like he's the and Thomas Jane at the end. But then after that, it could literally just be alphabetical order of Cass Anvar, Wes Chatham as Amos, and then Dominique Tipper as Naomi Nagata. Um, I'd have to rewatch the credits to She's check above, on that. Yeah, because Shora Agdashlu comes at the end because she is a much bigger name. Right, she actress. gets the end, and I believe Thomas Jane was either the first or second when he was still on the show. So it was like okay, so Stephen Strait, Thomas Jane, Cass Anvar, Dominique Tipper, Wes Chatham. I think was the order. All right, we'll have to watch it next time, yeah. and maybe they change it up from episode yeah. to episode. I don't really know. But anyways, the point is the, the fact that that she is sort of second in command but not for any you know like like uh insignia reason or whatever just because she's the one that they all trust and relate to i i think is great and they continue to not overplay the romance i mean who knows where it'll go maybe it'll stick maybe it won't but like they don't need like long love and sex scenes and as i talk about talking about the relationship is one of my least favorite things to watch on television Right. Um, so yeah, there was a lot going on. Agdashu was such a badass. She she dropped a motherfucker that they barely bleeped out. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was awesome. They did not swear this much in season one, and I yeah. don't know if they curse a lot in the books. Yeah, you know, She's, they curse a lot in um, I, I for some re- for no real reason other than that I'm reading them right now, or I or I kind of been thinking about them simultaneously. The James Corey books and. The Old Man's War books by John Scalzi, just because I, I, I think of those two writers as very much in the same even subgenre of science fiction. Sure. Um, Scalzi swears a lot, like all the time. I mean, there's a ton of cursing in red shirts. Okay. There definitely is a lot of swearing in Old Man's War. And I feel like even Ghost Brigade, the second book, there's a fair amount of cursing as well. I'm about to start The Last Colony, the third one. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if. Corey swears that much, but yeah, they've just decided to have everybody say fuck all the time this season, and I, I think it works. I think they, they use the cursing effectively. Yeah. I think the last 10 years or so, both dark fantasy and dark sci-fi writers have just said screw it and started cursing because it makes the characters way more relatable. Yeah, because people swear. Yeah. I, I, mean, I just... Yeah. The, the people who insist on saying gosh darn or gall dang or frick or mm. even... If you say frack, okay, I might give you a little credit for being clever, you know, for doing Battlestar. Um, well, personally, see, the, I'd like to... Yeah, the, the, the appropriate way to use frack is to supplement fuck with frack and use it in, a, you know, an ironic or, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, a, a pithy moment where frack actually just works better than fuck. Yes, if you replace fuck in your, in your, in your uh, vocabulary with frack, that's not great, you know. But true Battlestar fans, you know, who, people you know have a dirty mouth, and then they drop a frack. It's like, oh, yeah. But this is the way to do it on the, on the Expanse. And, and, yeah, when you get the DVDs, I'm sure that, that you get the full F-bomb. But but I, I, they almost didn't cut out any of the motherfucker. I, I thought it was great. And, man, is she a badass, Agdashlu. Yeah. I mean, she's got to be one of the sexiest 65-year-olds on the planet. Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, and they, I, I don't know why, but they, like, dressed her up for this episode. She was wearing that really gorgeous, uh, I'm, I'm not sure where her character is. She it wears saris like, almost always. She wears sort She of, did, but yeah. this one looked lavish yeah. and, and really very elegant. Yeah. Uh, and it was blue. It was like the blue and green thing again that works because they have such a heavy... That's the thing we've been talking about. I mean, they have such a heavy blue filter on the show that it's almost a little distracting. But sure. I've gotten used but to it. But it's also it's the contrast against all these dudes in kind of gray suits. Yeah. It's the same reason that there was an interesting visual look to Agent Carter because... Peggy Carter would wear these much more colorful outfits, and in a lot of episodes, she'd be the only woman walking down a street of men wearing gray button-down suits. And so you have this woman with all this kind of style and color and elegance in this very heavy visual contrast to the world around her. And I think when they give her this really bright blue sari or, or turquoise, and then it looked like she was also wearing some gold jewelry or adornments or something there's something shiny she was wearing as well Mm -hmm. it really it makes her character stand out in a you know and i think it's supposed to symbolize the way that she is not part of these people that she is on her own Mm -hmm. Um, and then when we see her go off on her own and work her own deals and whatnot it's kind of a callback almost to this visual distinction that the show is giving her. Absolutely. It, it gives her an extremely regal bearing, which she already has, yeah. but you almost think that she's like a, a noble lady or a princess or a queen or something in addition to being a politician. Um, right. And, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit of a, of a cheap trick because that far in the future, you'd think either everyone would be wearing hybrid clothing or nobody would, but... Yes, to to contrast her with all the men in their their drab, dark, modern military looking uh, look, obviously is is perfect for the show. Um, where do you see her character going? Um, because she's she's the she's the thing that anchors the Earth story, obviously. But it seems like there's going to have to be some contact somewhere. I mean, I, she is going to wind up doing more and more with Fred Johnson. Although the fact that Johnson now has 29 nukes or 30 nukes or yes. something like that I, I i don't necessarily think that's really a good thing no. so it what's may a good be thing that, for the story though yeah i mean if they wanted to take shora christian's care in a really dark direction she could continue to lie with fred johnson and work with him to uncover what jules pierre mao is trying to do and work to stop it but then right at the end betray fred johnson and have him killed because he becomes so powerful between control of one of the main stations that mines a lot of the ore that the both mars and earth rely on and now he's got a nuclear arsenal he she might decide that he ultimately become a threat and have him killed that Mm -hmm. she would slit the throat of the only ally she really has um so because she would I, that's a direction they could take that her character. Otherwise, I really don't know. Okay, so the twist at the end of the show, I did not see coming because right. you're thinking we're going to be. I mean, let, let's be honest. We know that um, that Bobby Draper's not dead, but all of her teammates are. Yep. And it was a surprise attack. I didn't see that coming? Yeah, I did not see that coming. It does make sense though th- that they would have all these over the top characters around her. Um, and now she's going to be on her own, you know, you thought she was going to be leading some huge army, which still might be the case, but now it seems like she's going on a more personal journey, which is way cooler in some ways, as long as we do get to see some actual fighting, but, so they were wiped out, so depending on who wiped them out and why, 
um, you know, I, I mean, someone, do you think this is part of Julie Mao's dad's faction? Again, trying to draw everyone into, to, into the war? Um, because because if that's the case, if this is another rogue faction from Earth, Fred Johnson having those missiles might end up saving both Mars and Earth, depending on how it unfolds. And who were the who were the troopers that that sneak attacked and uh, and, and killed all of Bobby Draper's uh, buddies, and apparently have her now. Yeah, I get the sense that these are the the people piloting the stealth ship that they got. You know, it's that faction. Whether or not that's Jules Pierre Mao or something else, we. You know, and then when her body is found, she seems to be found by these what either look like aliens look or like humans aliens. that have been completely consumed by the proto molecules. So yeah. Yeah. there is either this story of what the proto molecule is doing is farther along than we could have imagined, yep. or there is a fourth party that we're we still haven't met yet that there are already aliens or something that. Jules Pierre Mao is in league with. I, yeah. I, I feel like we're not quite there yet on understanding what those guys are. I mean, neither of us have read the books. You know a little bit what goes on down down the road because you looked it up. I specifically have stayed far away from it, but it seems unlikely that a six to seven book epic sci-fi series, even though it's in the solar system, will not at some point have sentient aliens. And so this could be the moment when that happens. Maybe. I, I really... I don't know. Um, this could be the moment. It was an awesome ending. Uh, yeah, wiping out all the all the 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 Mars people, um, and, and it was. I guess a clue would be is that the the commander of the Mars, that the the Colonel Ty lookalike, who got killed in, as part of this attack, um, he was he was trying to avoid war. Actually, he was trying to steer the Martians away from war with Earth and kept, you know, trying to <laughs> rein in uh, uh, Gunny. Who just wanted to 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 get the war on, and right. so by killing a a Mars commander that's sort of pro peace, I don't think that's a coincidence that they would have set him up as that kind of character politically. Someone is still trying to get get a war going. It's possible that they didn't foresee the proto molecule being you know uh, um, slingshot into Venus, and so this is like the next stage of the plan, like the backup plan or whatever. But yeah, we we just don't know. Um, uh, what what the situation is in terms of aliens so far? So I I continue to be on the edge of my seat, man. I'm really enjoying the show. Um, I don't know if this is just an in the moment thing, and I'll look back on it and be like, yeah, that was good, not great. But for the for right now, uh, I, I'm absolutely loving Expanse. I I think you'll look back on it and and have enjoyed it. You know, I who knows how long this show is going to last again every sci-fi show seems to go off the air within about four seasons except for the first stargate show um which i only ever got through the first two episodes of before i kind of lost interest in it um so i i know you like stargate universe a lot of other people didn't like it whatever um whatever um Anyway, I, I love the Stargate movie. It's really one of my f- favorite. It's so like, corny if you go back and watch it now. It's it, I've and, rewatched and it racist. recently, and yeah. I well, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I still really enjoy it. I think it's really fun. Kurt Russell so, looks like he's on horse tranquilizers the whole time. Yes, he does. But he, yeah. but I I I think that just adds. To the, give great. my regards to King Tut, asshole. Yeah, one of the greatest lines ever written in yeah. science fiction. Absolutely, and, I will yeah. rewatch that yeah. movie just for that. Yeah. Just because it's fun. It's a yeah. fun whatever. I know. Anyway, I yeah. so 
I think you should enjoy this while you, while you can because you don't know how much longer this is going to last. It would seem that it's been it's bound to be renewed for at least next season just because of the critical acclaim mm-hmm. this season has had. But you don't even know that. So, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd enjoy it. And I think it is going to hold up as a decent piece of sci-fi TV and best since Battle of I mean, I, I, there's nothing that's happened between now and then mm-hmm. that's anywhere close. Yeah, yeah. Um, I totally agree. I think the fact that it's become a critical darling among respected media outlets is going to help because, you know, as we've talked about, even losing money on the front end on a show like this can be very beneficial towards your channel when all your other shows are, are questionable. Um, or otherwise, speaking of questionable, I tried to watch humans, could not get into it. I don't know if I'm <laughs> going to try again. Um, so, all right, man, well, let's, let's close this thing up. So, uh, what, what, what do you want to talk about to close up, uh, episode seven of Crossing Streams? All right, we'll get to Arrow because we promised last week we would. You brought up, uh, humans. So I do want to make one point about humans. Mm-hmm. I, I have nothing to say that's going to convince you to want to see it. Um, I'm not even sure that I, like it all that much when it hits it's mild it's interestingly enough to be worth the the time commitment when it doesn't it's pretty forgettable um but something interesting not interesting something the show did in its past episode is it presented a little bit of backstory for carrie ann moss who is this genius programmer and computer engineer an american who is hired to come out to london where the show takes place to try to figure out how the um, code that brings the robots to life works. So they give her character a backstory, and the backstory is that it turns out she had a daughter who was in some kind of accident and has been in a coma for what seems like years. And this character, this AI artificial intelligence named V that she's been designing it she dreams of waterfalls a lot and then it's revealed that she's actually been dreaming of one specific waterfall and then you see a picture of Carrie Ann Moss in front of the waterfall that this AI character has been dreaming of and so it's very clear that she's trying to program a computer to I think simulate her daughter and I think she wants to find a way to put her daughter's mind that's trapped in this comatose body into a robot body that it can control and then come back to life this i feel like is a really bad choice for this character because it is this really cheap lazy way to make you like the character what i would compare it to is you saw gravity right i did okay did you think that adding sand giving sandra bullock a dead kid did anything to make her character more interesting I think that is a movie by one of my favorite directors. That's one of the most overrated films of all time. Okay. I I enjoyed the rest of it for the most part, but that I feel like is a very cheap, very lazy way to buy empathy. And, and it doesn't work. One, it didn't even work. It made no, it didn't. Yeah. It doesn't add anything. No. And it's it's sexist for a couple of reasons. One I'm sure there are male characters that have dead kids as motivation, but you never they're not nearly as common as you find women yeah. who pursue a career to get over the loss of a of a child. I and will again, say this. Arrival yeah. handles this way better. Yeah. 
Well, I I, I, understand, I know what the plot of that is. I know sort. Of, I don't want to get into Arrival, but it, well, I it can't say anything like more little, than that without giving you spoilers. But I will tell you I, that I know how it yeah, ends. Yeah. I, I know what happens. Okay. But, yeah. Anyways, yeah, they handle it way, way, way better. But in all three of those cases, well, not as much with Amy Adams, but still, for the most part, you have characters that are inherently feminist because they're they work in the STEM fields in Sandra Bullock's character and Carrie Ann Moss's character, right? Which statistically is a huge problem there aren't enough women in the stem fields yet science tech engineering math yep and so taking a character that is inherently feminist and inherently empowering and basically suggesting that the only reason they're doing it is because they failed in their in the more traditional female role of being a mother and a childbearer undercuts the value the character represents yeah. in this really cheap, lazy way. And that's the uh, arrival specifically flips that, like, what you're describing on its head. Again, no spoilers. Okay, so then, yeah. so then maybe I'd like kind yes. of that approach to it. Yes. I, I, I have not seen the movie. I, that's why I said, Netflix, I maybe give it a watch at some point. Yeah, it's not high up on my list. No, 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 it's not. It's fine. I, it actually sits with me better as time goes on. I might actually do a yeah. commentary with my, my dad on it. Cause he, lo- he loves it so much, but well, it, it's not just that they do the dead kid thing better in Arrival, because it's just handled better, but because right. they, they completely upend the traditional narrative that, that you're describing. And I agree with you. I mean, the one actress that's been able to do this in a whole bunch of different movies is Jessica Chastain. I mean, right. from, from Zero Dark Thirty, where she's basically a forensic scientist, to, uh, to The Martian, to Interstellar. For yeah. some reason, Jessica Chastain gets to be this awesome kick-ass scientist that doesn't need this, you know, sobby backstory or whatever. Absolutely. You know, Westworld, for all its problems, one of the things I did like about it is in this almost satirical way, it suggests that it it's almost making fun of the idea that all you have to do to make a character relatable is give them a tragic backstory, and that's all you need to do. That basically uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins' character just walks around reprogramming the robots to have oh, he was involved in this awful shootout where his family was murdered. And, and that's, he's kind of very cynically, but in that way, almost satirically saying, that's all I need to do. Right. There's a lot more to his character and a lot more to the show. A lot of it I didn't like. Mm-hmm. But I did kind of like the way that the show was almost mocking this trend of lazily forcing these sad backstories onto characters and assuming that's enough to make them relatable. Um, Can we talk so about this for really quickly? Yeah, sure. Because uh, I think I think something that maybe should be fair game, I and mean, we've already kind of done this, is a- as we go through some shows and we stop talking about other shows or shows that are coming up. Like for example, I really want to talk maybe next week about the, the expectations behind both the final Orphan Black season and sort of mm-hmm. the part one of two final Game of Thrones seasons, sure. and, and what that says about our culture um, and some similarities and differences. That's fine. Although we're also going to have the Americans to talk about. Yeah, and, we know it's not to be know, next maybe... week. Just some 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 time leading up to um, to those shows. But sure. you, when, when we were talking about humans for the first time. You went on a really interesting, very coherent uh, rant about, you know, well, I don't like Westworld, but at least it presents the scenario of of humans having robots as sex slaves, right? Uh, thereby, on the surface, seeming to kind of stem the those base uh, desires, but also right. acknowledging their, you know, at the same time acknowledging that it exists, 
right? I, I, I don't know. I don't have it exactly in, in front of me. But the point was, right. you, you, you were saying that, that was sort of an original idea um, in Westworld. And I was listening to it, and I'm meaning to bring this up, which is, you know, <laughs> first of all, it's not totally original because Ghost of the Shell and other Japanese properties have explored the idea of female robot sex slaves for a very, very, very long time. Um, so it's not that right. original, but the bigger problem is that so many t- TV watchers find that stimulating. It, it, it pales in comparison to my criticisms of the moral decay uh, th- that is apparent in, in Game of Thrones, what you describe right. about Westworld. And you, you and again, I'm not going to push you hard on this because you don't like to, you don't like to look at a show and say this show's popular and these are the type of people who watch it. And so I'm going to make some sort of judgment about them. That's fine, but you have to admit that some of these shows are are maybe scintillating uh, people for the wrong reasons in the wrong way, right? Like Westworld is doing what you described. Not because of some high philosophical art reason, but because it's going to get ratings, right? And I think that's well, yeah, kind of fucked up. And that, so does that mean that all these men that are watching Westworld are, are harboring secret desires to have robots, female slaves, like an ex machina? Like it's something ex machina deals with this issue in such a more responsible, personable way. You know, the fact that you do have a horrible bad guy in Ex Machina, Nathan, played by Oscar Isaac, and then you do have a nominal good guy in Caleb, pay, played by Donald Gleason, but he too is, is seeing her as, as a sort of sex slave that he's not aware of. Just to circle back to the beginning of our conversation, the ways that we think we can be helping other races or ethnic groups or genders and really be doing the opposite of that, right? And so I, I kind of feel like Ex Machina... Um, I don't know if that was Mario. I don't know if that's if that was Ex Machina. Uh, you know, it was unique in being a movie and just a small number of characters. Do you see what I'm saying, though? Do you see why I was so disturbed by that description of Westworld? I mean, do, I, do, do you think that that's, that's accurate? I mean, do you think that that's true, the, 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 that scenario and, and what it says about, about humanity? I, I got to be honest. I lost track of that question. I, I'm not sure what you're asking me I, um, you you were comparing humans, which you think this is like you said, sort of a run of the mill robot show, to Westworld, right. and, and you you postulated that Westworld, even though you didn't like it and it was really dark, right. was at least somewhat original in this notion of a Jurassic Park style robot sex slave, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, place for right. sex tourism, and that that, that you know well, we won't have rape anymore because we can rape. Uh, robots, and I will point you to the uh, amazing Battlestar line when you know the guy from the Pegasus says to Hilo and Chief, "says You can't rape a machine." Uh, it, right. That's exactly what they're doing is raping the machine. So my question is: Is there anything really deep about that, or is it just pornography that's on HBO, and, and we're allowed to remove ourselves slightly because it's they're robots or something like that? I mean, yes, there is something. I, I don't know. Yes, HBO, people do go to HBO because they feel like they can get some kind of television that they can't get from mainstream TV. Now, if that's because they want swearing, okay. If it's because they want boobs, okay. If it's because they want more graphic violence or sexual violence, I would argue that has always been part of the appeal of HBO and all of the, uh, you know, all of the, 
um, premium channel shows. I mean, The Sopranos was different, not just because it was really good storytelling, but because it was violent and you know profane and sexy in a way that a mainstream show couldn't be. Uh, Penny Dreadful, which I loved, has very graphic sex scenes. Vera Green gets naked a lot. And Eva Green, really, it, she generally likes to get naked, yeah. Yeah, she does. I mean, she's, she's constantly getting She's naked. good at playing sexy characters. Yeah. Um, you know, very graphic, a lot of blood of, and gore, a sure. fucking lot of blood and gore. Sure. So I don't know that necessarily I would accuse Westworld of being different or offering some kind of pleasure that's some kind of sign of dying of society's moral decay or whatever but you say that in your comments if you listen back on that episode and it, what i said yeah. and i remember and what i, I said is that it's different from other takes on robotics because it presents robotics as something we would pursue out of as an extension of our need for mastery not as an extension of our need for scientific achievement just to see if we could do it or to make our lives better which is why we create ai and like so many other science things and that if the robot apocalypse were to happen in Westworld, it would be because we would stop trying to curb our best desires. Right. I'm not willing to say that everybody who watches the show to watch robots get slaughtered and raped is watching it as some kind of outlet for urges they already have. I mean – I just I'm not willing to no, make but that's that. That's the point jump. of the show. You're right about that. I mean, if, if there's truth in the show and truth in what you're saying about the show, then that's exactly why they're watching it because they're only one step away of actually. I mean, the, the way the only way to be able to do this is to snap our fingers, create the Westworld theme park, and see what would happen. My guess is would happen exactly what's happening on the show. So I guess I'm making two points. One is life, you know, life imitating art, and vice versa. You know, and and it's like, you know, it's like, for example, people watch p- stuff in porn that they would never do in real life, right? That's right. part of the reason for porn's existence is to watch things that you would never do in real life. Now, some yes. people do. Who knows? But the point being, uh, I, at the very end, I guess, is, is the thing that, that really caught me on repeat listening to that podcast. You do s- to say... It, it, it's sort of, yeah, it's sort of a backdoor robot apocalypse, and we're already lost by kind of trying to s- sublimate, I guess is the word, by trying to sublimate those urges instead of changing ourselves. Th- right. th- then it's, yeah, ar- yeah. it's sort of already lost. I, I just really, I, I, I liked. I got more out of that on repeat listenings of what you were talking about. Because at first it just seemed like you were saying, oh, this is such an original concept about, you know, we're about being sex slave. But you were talking about, yeah, that, that, that people have to sort of spin it forward. And, <clears throat> you know, it, like, for example, you know, like, like killing, yeah, but killing, like the same thing, like kill, killing robots isn't going to curb our need for killing. It could actually make it worse, right? Because then you you start getting used to that concept. If you start raping Absolute, robots sure. that look like women, then it makes it a lot easier to start raping women. I, and I just haven't watched enough of the show to know if it's trying to make any sort of uh, societal observations. Sorry, man. Sorry that I took so much time. It was just something I had re- I was re-listening to that particular one from a couple weeks ago, and I was like, huh. And I, you know, like I had, I didn't really process it at the time. So it'll be interesting. Is that show coming back? Um, Westworld? Yeah. Like what in the fall? Yeah. I have no doubt. I don't know when. I mean, I think it's going to, if I was HBO, I would not show that show until Game of Thrones was done because I think it airs. It actually, I think it airs in the same time slot of Sunday at, at nine or Sunday at 10. 
So they, why would they put their two shows on simultaneously when they could have what they're going for, which is a sustained audience in the in between time between Game of Thrones? So I think it'll be Thrones, then Westworld in the fall or the winter, and then Thrones again, and then I don't know, I don't know how many seasons Westworld goes, but you know, there's only there's two seasons left of Game of Thrones, right? Or is there three? Still? No, there's two. There's like two, two. seven episode seasons left. Which people, like, yeah, people so. are upset about all of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, man. Let's end on CW. Um, you can talk Flash Arrow or both. I don't want to talk Arrow. So, I just want to be clear to the Bizzlecast audience. I, I thought I was making this clear in previous podcasts, but I don't know if it was coming through. I have stopped watching Arrow. It's possible I might watch the, the rest of the season, or you know, or start watching again at some point. But there is not a bone in my body, even way more than Legion, because I've already seen 120 episodes of Arrow. I've gotten everything mm-hmm. I can out of these characters, and they presented nothing new in terms of the way it's written, the way it's shot, the way it's acted, the, the characters that are being introduced or taken away. They presented nothing new in this sixth season to think it could get anywhere close to season three, which is you know when it was at its height for me. It's been sort of a right. downward trend. I guess it's the fifth season now. Uh, it's on its downward trend. I don't know if they should have renewed it. I don't even know how they get through this season so this isn't a comment about matt or anything about the cw in general it's just at the moment uh, other than legends which i never really watched i've given the other three shows a lot of time especially arrow but the moment supergirl's the one i truly care about that being said we founded this podcast on the notion that matt was always going to be watching more shows than me because that's just who he is and who i am it's it's hard for me to watch two three four shows a week and he watches a lot of shows and i really enjoy it so business listeners out there sometimes i'm going to be discussing things that we've both seen together and sometimes it's going to be matt talking about shows and you guys are listening because you're watching it so with that disclaimer matt feel free to talk anything about about arrow or uh, um or flash and you can go specific or meta obviously or both okay so you know in your art, what you just said is that you don't feel like Arrow is offering anything new. To me. And I actually... To me. Yeah. You just said that, right? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm so, saying it's not offering anything to me. I don't want to say it's okay, not offering anything I, to anybody. It's just not offering anything sure, to me. Sure, but I think you're right on some level because... All right. Spoiler for this past episode, we finally find out who Prometheus is. Prometheus has been the big bad of this season. Yep. And everybody's been wondering who he is because he always wears a mask and is voiced by Michael Dorn, but is obviously not really Michael Dorn. Um, and it turns out it's Adrian Chase, the DA for Oliver Queen as mayor. This is an interesting twist because in the comics, Adrian Chase is a superhero known as Vigilante, who also has been on Arrow this season, uh, who uses guns and shoots people and is a he's like the Punisher basically, hmm. and so it's an interesting s- twist on audience expectations that P- Prometheus turns out to be Adrian Chase and we don't know who the vigilante is. Um, I'm I'm really racking my brains to figure out who it might be. The best I can come up with is there is a chief of police, a black guy who's gotten a fair amount of. Um, who's gotten a fair amount of screen time this season. I unfortunately can't remember his name and is very mad that the uh, the Oliver's government covered up the murder of a cop in a previous episode. I won't get into all the specifics. He then tries to shoot the mayor when that cover-up is revealed on, t- on a news broadcast by a journalist. So uh, I get the sense that maybe he's going to turn out to be vigilante, whatever. The problem with Prometheus is he is a bad copy of... 
two villains we've already seen. He is Malcolm Merlin because yep. he is a dark mask wearing archer guy and he is deathstroke because he is a personal vendetta against oliver queen um in theory oliver killed his dad in season one off screen you know or back when oliver was in his killing businessman stage of his career but even that might turn out to not be the case but he clearly hates oliver for personal reasons and wants to destroy him which is pretty much what season two and deathstroke is all about problem is He's not as interesting as either Malcolm Merlin or even Manu Bennett as Deathstroke. And I know you didn't like Deathstroke, but if you didn't like Deathstroke, you are really going to find Prometheus boring. I have found um, Prometheus. I found everything about the season boring. I mean, look. Okay. I love Malcolm Merlin. I only dislike Malcolm Merlin now because they've overused him. But right. I like that he was the thread through the first three seasons and the speedy connection and him training her up and the Ra's al Ghul stuff. That was all great. I think... You know, once once he came back, you know, missing an arm or whatever, uh, and was working for Damian Dark, he started losing a lot of a lot of cachet for me. Um, right, and, and you know, if they're already stealing so many uh, characters from Batman and other DC properties, why do they keep finding Black Archers over and over again? It makes no <laughs> sense. Yeah, I. You would think they'd come up with something, but it's just more of this assassin ninja assassin ninja ninja assassin it's just the same shit over and over and over again and prometheus is far and away the worst of the four major villains he's worse than merlin he's worse than deathstroke he's worse than Roz, and he is worse than uh damian dark who was great even in a season that was the worst of the first four i mean season four was really confused and unsatisfying and and just kind of nothing um i probably agree with that on rewatching season two i remember not loving again because of deathstroke but uh, yeah and like i I said i like the flashback stuff with season two more than i liked the baron writer with the anything with shadow i'll take (laughs) yeah shadow was cool I, i liked younger idealistic not crazy yet deathstroke more than i liked mirakuru controlled crazy deathstroke well, so well that was the moral that was the fake moral quandary upon which the entire series turned towards the worst for me the yes. the that impossible situation of him deciding to kill shadow instead of um uh oh shit what's her name uh sarah, sarah. um you know, the, the, and then the entire story to be him wanting to get revenge for something that it w- yeah, was beyond it, irrational it, to get revenge for. Yeah, it was pretty flat. Um, yeah. But it was still better than what we've gotten so far. Prometheus is just kind of boring. And nothing that's really happened this season has amped up the excitement. You know, I didn't mind Tobias Church as a smaller you know, early season bad guy. He was kind of like Brick from a couple of seasons ago, but Brick was more interesting. Um, and he's much better as Fred Johnson. I mean, that's a much better character for that, that actor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Coleman, I think, is that actor's name. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there just there hasn't been much to this, and making Prometheus Adrian Chase doesn't really do anything beyond being a nice little twist because Adrian Chase is kind of boring. He's very one note and he just glowers. He has this really weird stare and uh, to him, he's got kind of Kryptonian one face problem. Um, And so they've tried to overcome that by introducing more good guys, but even that hasn't really worked because Curtis doesn't really work. 
I've grown to like Wild Dog more and more. They got rid of Rory Reagan, which I found really to be a bummer because there was so much mystery to his character that they just left completely un- unsettled. You know, what are his cloak? What exactly are his powers? Does he actually suck out people's souls, which is what the rag suit does in the comics? Is he golem magic, which is how he, his powers work in the comics? There was so much they could have tapped into, and they just sort of made him disappear. Well, not um, to mention, you know, I know you don't love all the Jewish jokes or non-jokes, but he's the ol- he was the only character on the new team that sort of talked differently in terms of cadence and stuff than the other right, characters. Exactly. Yeah. And he worked with the other characters in a way that just because of how off-put he was by the whole scenario, that some of them don't. Like, Curtis doesn't work with the rest of the cast, kind of because he's the same character as Felicity. But the sense of humor and the attitude that Rory brought was different and interesting. And they've let Wild Dog loose a little bit, which has helped, but it's not enough. You know, they have a lousy bad guy, and the show is just sort of spinning its wheels. And... Uh, if anything, I'm more interested to see what it turns out Vigilante's al- alternate identity is than anything else, and that's not probably what the show wanted. So it's just kind of okay right now, you know. And the, uh, and the disappearance of, of Thea Holland. Is not, right, Willa yeah. Thea Holland is not helping anything. You know, they brought her back for a couple of episodes. She does a bunch of really shady shit, like – when she finds out that a journalist has figured out who Oliver is, she hacks into her – she has Felicity hack her laptop and plant a bunch of evidence that she fabricated stories and ruins her career. She fixes that later. But then when um, Oliver is impeached over covering up this co- death co- – I'm sorry, death of a police officer, she wants Felicity to reveal that one of the potential swing politicians – wife wasn't killed in a car crash she killed herself because of she was depressed or something and oliver kind of is like what's wrong with you this isn't illegal this is just embarrassing somebody over something horrifying that happened to him Mm -hmm. and so then she's like you're right i've gone to the dark side or whatever i need to leave and so she resigns Mm -hmm. and she leaves again and i'm assuming she's not going to be back for a while Mm -hmm. so this whole season i've i've kind of been trying to figure out what her arc is and i can't tell if she has one or if she was under contract for one more year and then they they are gonna get rid of her that she is just gonna go the way of jimmy of mccod brooks of just i want to go do other things Um, all right right, man so i actually am hitting a hard a hard limit here uh i have to get going so um we do have some premieres next next week yeah uh we got the americans coming back all right um so, um, yeah, so it might be interesting um, to wh- – when does that air? That airs March 7th, which is Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay, cool. So you'll definitely be talking about that. Um, uh, if you, feel free to hit up the blog too uh, because I think uh, there are a lot of people might not know or we could just I could just post it on the Bizzlecast page. just that it, the premiere is happening. Um, because Americans, again, is, is a critical darling show um, that maybe more people should be watching, including me. So I'm sure we will be talking about that. Um, so just re- consider this your reminder, at least, BizzleCast listeners, if you're into the Americans or, or want to check it out, now's the time to catch up. I believe you can watch the entire thing on Amazon Prime. 
I want to say. Uh, the FX shows end up on Amazon Prime, I believe. In fact, I've been waiting sure. for Atlanta to end up on Prime so I can watch that. Um, so is that, is that the only one for, uh, for next week? Um, yeah, that's the only one for next week. The week after that, Iron Fist mm-hmm. and Into the Badlands, the AMC dystopian future martial arts yep. show. And I uh, finally started watching Peaky Blinders. I'm not very far in yet, but it's really good. And so that's something I will probably want to mention at some point. And uh, with with Iron Fist coming up, this might be a good opportunity for us to discuss some Netflix possibilities to talk about over the next couple months. Um, so cool, man. Uh, any final thoughts um, before we run here? I think I might have cut you off about Flash. Did you have something quick you wanted to say about Flash? Um. Not really. It was the okay. conclusion of the guerrilla battle thing. Yeah. Kind of unsatisfying for the most part. Solovar fights Grodd, which was really awesome. And uh, Jesse Quick refers to Harrison Wells from Earth 2 as Dead Man. Dead Man is a generally beloved, obscure DC Comics character. And it was pretty cool to see him get name dropped. Um, but there's nothing more to it than that. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the Supergirl. Uh, the fact that Supergirl and Expanse continue to get so much better in their second seasons, especially the Expanse, because you were on the Supergirl bandwagon from the beginning, uh, whereas the Expanse took really a major jump in season two. And like with this past episode, finally like really humanizing the the Rosinante crew goes back to my theory that you know writers can be blamed sometimes when good shows go mediocre. And when you get good writing, you know, like we're getting definitely getting better expanse writing. Maybe I'll research next week, man, whether they've changed writers or whether the writers are just getting more comfortable. Because there's no doubt that our main crew and um, expanse is getting much better written for th- mm-hmm. th- than they had been. That might also just be having to do with the books. I have to think. I mean, look, let's put it this way. Arrow has more of an excuse after five seasons than Flash after three for, for heading on a downward trend. I don't know what's going on with Flash. It's the most watched of the shows. It's the one that I always hear, you know, other people on other people's lips. People love that show. So I, right. I can't understand with, with a pretty good cast, a great concept, um, and, and a big following. Why? And with these really cool, bizarre, you know, very comic booky villains, uh, why they can't keep uh, stepping up the writing there? And maybe this will be this will be our last thought and your last thought and our last thought. Any theories as to why the writing seems to be stagnating a little bit um, in Flash, or is, or am I reading this wrong? Nah, I, I I don't know. I I think the Flash has expanded too much too quickly, and I'm worried about that because I think it's going to continue to do so over the next couple of seasons as well. That they've just they have gotten so enamored with the own subsection of the DC universe that is the Flashes, the Flash family, all the speedsters and the multiverse and all the rogues. Right. They've just gone so hard on it that they've lost track of some of the narrative cohesion that any TV show needs. Mm -hmm. And if they're going to do crisis on infinite earths in the next couple of years, it's just going to get more crazy and out there. Um, I was throwing my arms to the sides as if to suggest a large expanding universe. (laughs) So I think it's, uh, it's maybe the Krispy Kreme problem of just they too, too much too quickly and not enough forethought into how to, how to sustain it. Um, huh. and so then we might be seeing a contraction pretty soon. Huh. 
All right. Well, thanks as always, Matt. Thanks as always, listeners. Uh, definitely check out both uh, Logan and Get Out. Um, I'm hoping to see Get Out in the theater. Uh, it's definitely something I would see after it leaves the theater. Um, you'll probably see Logan, so maybe we'll discuss that at some point if you like it. But I'm, I'm, you know, I mean. I can't be too sad about a couple of these TV shows being a little lackluster at the moment because there's so many good movies coming out. So I'm trying to look at the bright side here. Um, And uh, yeah, man, again, you know, I'm I'm really, I'm going to try and stick with Legion. I'm definitely going to be watching the episodes. I just don't know what I'm getting out of them at this point. So maybe the next next week week will be different. We'll have to see. So thanks again. Uh, Thanks, Biblicast listeners. We welcome your feedback, as always. Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. And uh, we are out.